turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at a lot of different things today. Anthony sent me a note uh, yesterday as he was uh, found out that he was struggling with some things. And he said, uh, I know you have company, uh, but will you go ahead and just take the service? And, and he goes, just, just talk. <laughs> because I know you haven't had a chance really to prepare. And it's still amazing how God all of a sudden just begins, things just begin to click. I, I, you know, I so admire his faithfulness. Because, uh, you know what, if it was up to me, we'd all be struggling. I'm just telling you, if, 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 I was, if I'm left to my own ideas, it's just like I don't have a clue what I'd do. I was, I was laughing with Anthony yesterday, and, and we were driving back from our conference that we had. We had a minister's getaway, and I, I, we heard more in four sessions about leadership than I have heard in 15 years I mean, this guy was phenomenal, the insight that he had. I just sit there going, I don't know anything. I'm a three-year-old. I, I was just, I was blown away. But we're talking about coming home. We, we got started on this conversation, and I used to talk about uh, when we were first going through some of the physical issues with our son, that I would go over. We lived across from Miramani Elementary School, which is over just south of Ashland Avenue, just west of Fowler. And I would walk out into the middle of the playground, and I would have these knock-down, drag-out ar arguments with God. I mean, I would scream and yell, and I'm sure all the neighbors grabbed their kids and said, you cannot go to the school for the next hour because, I, you know, there's this crazy guy out there just screaming at God. Uh, and and, he, and I'm, I'm literally going, God, if you can't take care of my family and you can't protect me and my family and you can't heal them, why in the world would I want to serve you? Been there? And so I go through about 20, 30 minutes of that, and then all of a sudden I kind of get quiet, and I, you know, then, you, then you come to your senses. It's like, who am I kidding? I got nowhere to go. Man, I've been on the other side of this life without, without him. I got nowhere to go. Uh, who am I? And so then you kind of just you know, slump back to your house. Uh, but it really is kind of that way. You hit those moments where you just feel like you've got to have those com conversations with God. And I'm so glad that God has got big enough shoulders to be able to handle that. You know, I read the Psalms, and the more I read the Psalms, I keep thinking David is bipolar. I mean, he's, he starts out at one point saying all this stuff about, God, you've abandoned me. God, you're not there. You know, how come I see all the wicked people and they're prospering and I'm stuck over here? And yet by the time he gets to the end... His heart is changed, and he's back to, God, I just worship you and give you glory. You are the faithful God who takes care of us. And, and I'm like, man, I have so lived that. And so I, I shared a statement with Anthony yesterday that I really haven't used for a lot of years, uh, but it kind of triggered something in me uh, that I've always believed, and it's this. God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. God will have you setting in a situation where all of a sudden something will hit you and you won't like it. You'll, you'll, you'll want to take offense over it. Somebody will say something. Somebody will do something. And, and all of a sudden, man, you just start rising up on the inside. 
And the purpose of that, because it begins to reveal what's, what, what's hidden in those little dark places in your heart. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about Holy Spirit rehab, if you remember that, uh, about going through and how it's uncomfortable and painful, but it's so necessary. You know, we're kind of continuing a little bit with that, but there's just those things that God will constantly set in front of our eyes, not because he's interested in seeing how we are going to respond or react to it. He already knows. The person who doesn't know how they're going to respond or react is me. So that's how he shows me, me. And there's times that's just not real comfortable. So Acts chapter 10. Now here's something that I always find amazing, and I'll kind of jump in. I'll start with this now. There's those times where you get in a situation and you are so wanting to hear a word from God. You are so wanting God to speak, and it just seems like the heavens are closed with a sign that says, do not disturb. And so you're sitting there going, God, don't you understand? I've got decisions that need to be made. I've got to, I really, I, I need to have a now word from you, God. And yet I, when I read this, here's the funny thing that, that sticks out to me to start with. It starts out in verse 1, and it says, There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion who was called, uh, of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, a man who feared God with all his household and gave alms to the Jewish people and prayed for God, to God continually. And about the ninth hour, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come to him and said, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? Now again, this guy's not Jewish. He's not part of the nation of Israel. He's a Gentile. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and alms have ascended to as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Here's a guy who has a very vague concept of the God of Israel at best. He's a Gentile. And yet, he gets this vision and the accuracy with what he is taught. It's like, I'm telling you, prophetic people would just go, be jealous. Wait a minute, I, you're sending, I want you to send your men to Joppa. He's, you're going to meet a, you want to come across a guy named Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon. His house is by the sea. So here's this really unbeliever who's getting this incredible vision from God, and it's incredibly accurate and detailed. And half the time I'm sitting over here going, I got nothing. <laughs> I, it's like, how is it that there are just times that people who have no concept of God hear something like that? They're absolutely convinced it's God. There is no doubt. And yet you and I struggle. Abram is another one. God appears to Abram and says, I want you to leave your family, your nation, your relatives, and go to a land I'm going to show. I'm not even tell you, telling you where you're going to go. He's like, all right, God. He's not been a believer. He's not had a relationship with God. And yet, he's convinced. Now, you and I, we struggle with these things. God, is this your will? 
God, I, I think it might be your will, but is this your timing? Is it? Isn't it not? I don't, I just, oh, I'm being tugged. I, I, I want it to be, but I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, right? We wrestle with this stuff. And yet, here comes people who have no concept of God, who God is and just go, get out of the way. I'm going after this. And I sit and I listen, listen to myself. Oh, Jesus. Go through these mental gymnastics at times. And going, God, why is that? Why is it that, that some people just that, that really don't know you well are just here something and are absolutely convinced and leave everything behind to go chase a voice, the voice of a God that they really don't know. And yet I'm sitting here going, oh, but I don't know, I, maybe, could it? I'm not sure. And so God began to, to talk with me about some things, and it, it really is the other side of this in, in Acts chapter 10, and it's Peter. So Cornelius sends his servants to go, go find Peter. They know exactly where they're going. Peter, on the other hand, the next day at noon, goes up on his rooftop to pray. And he goes into this trance, and he gets hungry, and the skies opened up, and it says, uh, verse 11, he saw the sky open up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by, the, by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures, of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Peter, kill, eat. And of course, this is Peter. This is the man who's walked on water. This is the man who, uh, in the second chapter of Acts, which was about uh, eight years ago at this time, this is about eight years after that happened, uh, stands up and speaks and 3,000 people get saved. So Peter's hearing God, and his response is, Verse 14, by no means, Lord. He still called him Lord. He knows who's talking to him. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Now here's the part I love. Verse 16. And it happened three times. That gives me a lot of hope. Because, quite frankly, I don't get it the first time. Sometimes I might not get it the second time. It's like I'm a little slow. So here's Peter. He's, he's convinced God's speaking to him, but he's not wanting to pull the trigger and be obedient. And I was thinking about that. Part of it is there's times that because of what we think we know about God, It will hinder us from, when we hear his voice, being obedient. Here's Peter because of the culture he grew up in, because of all his past experience with Judaism. All of a sudden, voice, the, the voice of God comes and says something to him that's different from his past experience and everything he knows, and he can't grasp it. 
because he's locked in that framework of his past experience. So he can't go forward into something that God is asking him to do because it doesn't match up with his experience. And so God is offending his mind that's revealing part of his heart. So verse 17 says, now Peter was greatly perplexed in mind, so he, he doesn't understand what, what God is trying to tell him. In verse 19, while he's reflecting on the vision, the, three, the guys who have shown up from Cornelius' house, and the Spirit tells him, now, there's three men looking for you downstairs, go down to them and do whatever, you know, don't, don't hesitate in going with them. So Peter goes with them. So it's taken them, like, they left one day, they got there the next day, they spent the night, they got up the next day. So when he gets back to Cornelius' house, four days have gone by now from all this. And Peter's still struggling with this. And he gets up and he arrives at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius, of course, because he doesn't have a relationship with God and really doesn't know what's going on, he bows down and starts to worship Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm, uh, hey, I'm just a man just like you are. Get up. Don't, you know, that, let's not have any of that. And then Peter has to tell him in verse 28, now, now you know it's unlawful for me to be here. You know I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, this isn't right for me. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean or holy. And then I love this next statement. That is why I came without raising any objection. What? That's all you've done the whole time. He still doesn't have a clue what God's trying to tell him. I'm feeling better about myself all the time. <laughs> so Cornelius begins to explain what's going on and tells him the vision that he had. And then all the way down at verse 34, and opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now. Now I get it. Now it all begins to make sense. Now I'm beginning to understand that even though this goes against my culture, even though this goes against what past experience and what I think I know about God, now I get it. Be at the very next chapter when he goes back to Jerusalem, and he, or goes to Jerusalem and he's talking to other disciples, and he's trying to explain to them what's going on. They don't get it. And so he begins talking to them and says, listen, I'm in the process of sharing with them who Jesus is, and right in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit falls. And they're speaking in tongues. And his next statement is, so what was I to do? In other words, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I really didn't want to do this, but God showed up and, and this happened. And it's like, hey, psh, at this point, I just got to, you know, what am I going to do? And it says then that they quieted down. So it was getting really loud. And the challenge is this. You and I have a framework of our life's experiences you and I have a framework of our past. You and I have a framework of the culture that we grew up in. And sometimes those things that we know or that we think we know will keep us from what we need to know. Those events in my past, if I latch on to them, then when God wants to do something that's contrary to my experience, then all of a sudden it's a challenge for me. 
and I begin to find out who's going to win this little tug of war. And sometimes I'm tugging for all that's within me. Uh, I, I know we shared last week about the, the opportunity we have in, in Nevada and stuff. I don't remember if I shared this aspect of it with you. Um, if I did, I apologize, but I'm going to say it again. One of the things when, the, when Bishop Reynolds asked us, would you consider pastoring again? What he doesn't know is that there were times that even though I felt something that was stirring, it was like, man, I don't ever want to do that again. And, and people would say, people from time to time would ask and say, Benjamin, do you want to, would you ever consider pastoring again? And I'd look at him and go, I had a bad experience. And they go, well, what happened? I said, I had a bad experience. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, Psh. So those things in our lives begin to take more of a spot of preeminence. And pretty soon my experience, those things, my culture, those things that I grew up with become larger than my promise and my provision. Now here's how that kind of comes into play at times, if I can... find this. I, I, I was looking at this. Uh, actually, I was kind of determined what I really wanted to talk about this morning. And, you know, there's times you're just kind of flipping through your Bible and you, you know, I, for, for me, I know that everything's online now, but I'm still kind of old school. So I've got this, you know, 10 pound Strong's concordance. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. You know, it's about this by this and it weighs about 14 pounds. And so I, you know, I get the crane out and lift this thing off the, the bookshelf set it down on the couch and open up and begin to look and everything is King James and so, but you can find every word that's written in the Bible is in this book with where it's referenced at. And some guy did this in like the, I want to say the early 1800s or something like that. Uh, so I'm thinking, how, do you, how would you ever begin to do this by hand without a computer? It's like, uh, just fascinating, but that's, a, that's another story. So I start looking at this about how we begin to grow and take possession. And so I'm flipping through the Bible and I find this, I, I find it in the Strong's and I go looking, looking at it in my Bible. And of course in my Bible, I love this because you know, every once in a while it's got a little header about what the next few verses are like. You know, most people's Bibles have those uh, if you're still using a paper copy. And this one in Numbers 33, verse 50, right above it, it says the law of possessing the land. See, there's a land that God has for each and every one of us. And my land is different than your land. This land is not my land. This land is not your land. This is my land. Over, your land is over here. So there's a land that's yours, and there's a land that's mine. There's an area that God wants us to occupy. Now, the only challenge with that, and, is, and just like it was with the children of Israel, is somebody had already taken up residence there. And so the challenge is, before we can possess, we've got to dispossess. And so here's what, here's what he says in uh, Numbers chapter 33, verse 50. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall drive out the inhabitants. Now you've got to understand, up until this point, God has pretty much taken care of them. 
they've not really had much conflict. They've wandered through the wilderness. There's been manna. There's been water. There's been cloud by day, fire by night. It's been a pretty cushy gig other than the fact you're just roaming around the wilderness. There's not much that's being required of them. He says, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, and you shall destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places, and you shall take possession of the land. Now, in one of the other verses that it refers to this, it said you will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. I mean, it begins to name all the, all the uh, clans, all the tribes that are of people that are already there. And he goes on to say, you will not drive them out from the land from before you, or that you will not drive them out. And it talks about this in this other verse that I didn't get a chance to look at. It says, you will not drive them, I will not drive them out before you in a year. Because if I did that, and I tried to give this all to you at one, what, one time, you don't have the capacity to oversee it and to occupy it. So I've got to do it little by little, because if, you, if I just hand it to you all at one time, then the beasts of the field come back and they begin to overrun the land and you can't keep safe and continue to occupy what I'm trying to give you. All, the, all those other clans and tribes are going to come right back and you're, because you don't, know, you don't know how to do battle yet. And that's really the way it is with you and I. God's got a plan and a purpose and he's got a land for us, but quite frankly, we're not sure... If, if he handed it to us all at one time, we couldn't occupy what he's given us. And so all those things that occupy the land ahead of time are all those things that are going to continue to war against us and they will eventually win again. So now we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll read that just real quick. For the weapons of our warfare, well, actually, we'll do this, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Oh, thank you, God. I'm not limited to just the resources that I have within me, in my body. <clears throat> for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought cap. Now, where is all that taking place? taking place in your mind for you and i to occupy the land that we've got to occupy we talked about you have to dispossess before you possess the first thing you have to dispossess is those things in your mind your those past experiences those cultural things that you've adapted that are going to wage war against the promises of god You've got to come against those things and begin to dispossess those things in your mind. You, and if you do not dispossess those thoughts in your mind, you will never dispossess the things in the natural that need to take place so you can actually occupy the land. It's what's got to come first. Because if you don't do that in your thinking and you carry your same thinking into the new land that you're trying to possess, those, those Hittites, Canaanites, Hivites, all the ites, the Amorites, I used to have a pastor that would say, and all the other uglyites, uh, they will continue to come back, and the very thing that's put you in this position where you're struggling to occupy, and the very thing where you're str struggling to try and, and access the, the promises of God in your life, 
the very mentality that you're warring against will continue to, and even if God handed it to you all at the same time, you would immediately, because your thinking hasn't changed, you immediately will cause yourself to step right back into the same situation you were just trying to come out of. We talk about what insanity is. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And yet so many times, if we don't begin to dispossess those areas of our life where we have experiences that, that didn't line up with what God's word says. If we won't dispossess that type of thinking in our lives, we will unconsciously put ourselves right back in the situation that we're trying to get out of. So that before we can dispossess the things in the natural and those things that, that are there that are occupying the space that God has meant for you and I, before we can occupy them in a physical and spiritual standpoint, we've got to dispossess the thoughts that brought those things against us in the first place. And quite frankly, that's the hardest part. Once you get to the point, you know, and I loved what, what Pastor Chris shared this morning about with the tithing, because that's true of any situation. Once you win the battle here, the actual effect of what needs to take place is not a struggle. I, I was, we were talking in the car coming home, uh, and Laura made the comment. She goes, Benjamin, would you ever speak at a men's event? And I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. I, I've, I, I even know what I'd talk about. Uh, and I've shared this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, a funny thing happened when I got married. I quit dating other women. <laughs> it wasn't difficult. I didn't struggle with that. Why is that? Because I said yes to one. And my yes to one was so big that the others didn't matter anymore. You know, you and I at times will struggle, and it could be, it, it could be even in the areas of addictions, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's, if it's pornography, if it, it, whatever, whatever the issue is, if it's relational, all those things. We, we struggle and we have these things that sometimes want to hang on for year after year after year, but the challenge is really this. My yes just hasn't been big enough. When my yes becomes big enough to the one that all that other stuff doesn't matter, all that other stuff drops away off almost immediately because it's of no consequence. It's the same way with our thinking. When, if we will get our thinking correct in, in whatever area it is, whether it be with tithing and with money, whether it be with hearing the voice of God, whether it be with God, what is it you've destined me to do with, with whatever it is and, and am I willing to, to, you know, we sing the song Oceans all the time and we talk about stepping out where my, you know, I'm, I'm way out beyond where my feet can stand. And we sing that, and it's a wonderful song, and we think, yay, that's great. Oh, I can't wait to do that. And then all of a sudden, you're presented with the opportunity, and it's like, oh, Jesus, no! Because it's one thing to do that when you're in your 20s, because you're, you know, you're, you're full of energy and zealous, and even in your 30s. 
And you're like, oh, yeah, man, I can't wait to do that. Well, something happens as you get older. You tend to get a little more cautious. You know, I, 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 rem- <laughs> I, I remember as a kid, we had swamp coolers. And so I had to go up in the house to change the pads and do all the other things. Those of you who ever had swamp coolers know what I'm talking about. Well, you put the ladder against the house, and you climb up the ladder, and you do that up on the roof. And, and when it came time to get down, taking the ladder down was too slow, so I just jumped off the roof. No big deal. That's probably why I have the, had the issues with the knees. That's probably where it started. But there's something that happens as you get older. All of a sudden, you, you see something like that. And even if you see someone else doing that, it's like, oh, wait a minute, time out. Oh, no, you need to be careful. Don't be doing that stuff. You need to be careful. I've got to be cautious. And, and listen to the sound of that. You need to be careful. You need to be full of care and worry and concern about doing something like that. And so the older you get, you tend to take more of that stance in your life. You get more cautious, you get more careful, you get more concerned. And yet God comes along and says, yeah, let's get hey, oceans. All right, let's get out there and step out on the water. You know, and, and you're going, oh, yes. And then all of a sudden, here comes this opportunity. And you're going, oh, wait a minute. Can I just dip my little toe in and say right here where it's only three inches deep? I'm good. <laughs> I'm not so sure I want to deal with the tide. You know, hey, the, you, you've heard about these rip tides. You know, this two-inch water might drag me out into the ocean. <laughs> but we get concerned because we start looking at those experiences that we have and we start processing them through the framework that we have of all those th- times where we thought, you know, God, I, I, was, I stepped out of the boat and I sank like a rock. You know, it wasn't, I didn't walk on water. I didn't even float. It's just like, I'm ready to take that step. And it's just like, bloom, that's it. It's over it. And so we get careful in what we do. And then when God says, it's time for you to step out of the boat again, y'all can step out of the boat all you want. I even helped nudge a couple of you. Oh, I love to see people stepping out in faith. Oh, it's just wonderful for you. Right? I mean, come on, let's be real. We get that way. And yet, how are we going to allow God to manifest who he is and his power and his glory if we're not willing to get beyond our own limitations? If we get so caught up that we can't dispossess those thoughts in our own mind that keep us bound to where we can step out and begin to access and possess the land that he's given us. I tell you, it's the challenge we all face. And it's the challenge that we were born 
to conquer. It's the very thing that God has put inside of us as his people, as, as his children, to have that pioneering spirit. Those things that, especially as, as, as younger people, you know, you get to the point, it's like, man, I just want to go to the mall and I want to lay hands on anybody who breathes. Right? There's times you just feel that way. I can't wait, you know, I can't wait for God to put somebody in front of me and I can just slap my hand on them and say, in Jesus' name, come on out of him. And it's the very thing that most times by the time we get to our 40s and 50s that we begin to let go of. We begin to lay aside. We begin to think that's good for somebody else, but it's not for me. My time has come and gone. I guess I'll just have to sit. And it's the very thing that, that challenges us because it takes... It takes the ability for God to move mightily on our behalf out of our hands. We tie his hands before we ever give him the opportunity to move because we refuse to get beyond our past, those things that are part of the culture that we grew up in, whether it be home life or whatever it is, those, those experiences we had, where we can't get past those to where God can show up and just really demonstrate who he is. And the truth of the matter is, God will demonstrate who he is through his people. And so if we will not allow him that opportunity, then we are going to deny the world a glimpse of who the Father can be through us. Because what God wants to do in you and what God wants to do in me is such a unique individual thing that if I don't manifest who he is and if you don't manifest who he is, then there's a part of him that will not be seen. Because you are unique in the way he created you and you will manifest an attribute of God like no one else will or ever has or ever will. Obviously, this has kind of been an interesting uh, couple weeks for us. Uh, and it's one of those things where, like I said, at, at 30, it's like, man, are you willing to just go do whatever God called you to do? And, of course, you know, Pam and I, we go overseas and we sing the song, uh, where you go, I'll go, what you say, I'll say, and what you pray, I'll pray. And then we come back, and then you're given the opportunity. It's like, oh, I don't know. You know, and it's like, man, you're snared by the words of your own mouth. <laughs> and so it's one thing, like I said, when you're 30. It's another thing when you turn 60. So my way of getting around that is I just turned 60, but my knees are less than one year old, so my median age is really only 30. So, but it's one of those things where, and I'm telling you, if you're, if you're beyond the age of 40 in this room, there is something that is incredibly exhilarating to think about at that point in your life, 
stepping out into something that you know God has that you're excited about but scares you no end. And yet at the same time, we get to the point as we get older in life that we see younger people doing things in church and we begin to think that our time has come and gone. My ability to affect a generation, my ability to affect a city, my ability to affect a state, my ability to affect a country is no longer there. And I'm here to tell you, if you can begin to dispossess those things in your mind, God will give you the land that he has set aside for you. I, I loved, I shared this last week in Nevada, and Rachel, come on up and begin to play. Uh, we all love uh, when Peter gets up in, in the second chapter of Acts and says, this is what the prophet Joel said. And then you go back and you read the, the prophecy in Joel about your young men and young women will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And I, I was thinking about that. And here's what really hit me. When the Spirit of God begins to come alive in us, when the Spirit of God begins to fall again on a congregation in an area, the thing that happens is the old men who have gotten cautious, the old men who have begun to get careful and begin to back away and say, I'm just going to sit, it causes something to happen in them where they begin to dream again. They begin to dream of stepping out in faith with God and doing things that they had long since thought were gone, long since thought were over, long thought that those things had passed them by. It's time for our old men to dream again, to dream dreams again. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care what your age is. If you're younger, Dominic, you got your whole life in front of you and you've got dreams and, and destinies that God has put within you and some of them you're aware of and some of them you're still not. And that's cool. But it's like, and I know you because you're all in. It's like, God, I can't wait. Just, just let me fulfill every one of those things that you have for me. That's all, that's all I care about. Don't let me get to the end of my life and say I left anything lacking. Well, that goes back to the scripture that we said about lacking no gift. It's already in you. All you have to do is access it. And you'll do that at different times throughout your life. You'll begin to step into those different areas. But it's the same for those of us that have uh, a little more gray hair, a little more of a limp when we walk, no hair. I'm here to tell you there is a dream that's inside each and every one of you. There's a dream that you might not even have yet begun to access, that you might even know, have not even understood that it is still there, still waiting to come alive, still waiting to come to fruition in your life. And I'm here to tell you, if you will begin to dispossess those thoughts that keep you from that, God will begin to once again light that fire and once again, you'll begin to have that dream or a dream come alive. And I'm telling you what, it is still bigger and better than anything you could ever think or imagine. The very fact that you and I are still breathing on this earth 
means that God's not done with us and that there is plans and purposes that we have yet to fulfill. Don't shortchange it. Don't settle. Don't back away.